I've been, I've been very keen to, to speak on today's uh, topic, on today's message, and Pat will verify this. Um, I've been borderline harassing him when it comes to uh, you know, speaking today, because as soon as he gave me the date, I was, it was just a constant stream of messages being like, all right, uh, what's the topic, what's the text, uh, where can we get going? And um, uh, he was like, okay. All right, we'll make a switch. And, uh, and he was like, well, look, it's a series on faith. So I was like, all right. Uh, and I jumped straight in, started uh, my preparation and um, was, was digging deep into the word. And uh, we, uh, through discussion, realized that, well, actually, this uh, message that, we, that I'm bringing this morning belongs kind of at the start of our series on faith rather than at the end. So we brought it forward a couple of weeks. I wasn't actually meant to speak for another um, three weeks. So that's how excited I am to bring you the word this morning that um, it's uh, jumped forward a few weeks. But, you know, yeah, we should be excited, right? Opening the Word of God is, is what we do. Um, now, I just want to start with an encouragement that getting digging deep into the Word of God is something that we need to be doing. And it's an absolutely rewarding exercise, and it's something that really is, is part of exercising our faith as Christians. All right? And the Bible actually has encouragement for us to do that, and it comes with a promise. You know, Psalm 1 verse 1 says, Blessed is he who walks not in the ways of the wicked, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, nor stands in the place of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. For he is like a tree planted beside the waters, which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf will never uh, wither. In all he does, he prospers. So there is great promise that comes with digging into and finding depth in the Scriptures. And you know what happens when we dig deep into the scriptures is the same thing that happens when we find a good spot to dig into the earth. And that is that you go down deep enough that eventually you find water. And that what you've dug is not a hole, it becomes a well. And it becomes a source from which you can draw. And the thing is that the water we find when we dig into the word is living water. It's the life-giving water that Jesus speaks about with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, bubbling up to eternal life. And so when we dig that, that hole, it becomes a well and the water fills up that space and it brings life and it overflows into, into the world around us and into the people uh, in the world around us. And I just feel a little bit like that this morning, that I've been digging in and found this hole, it's turned into a well and I'm hoping that God by his Holy Spirit will mediate some of that truth uh, to us this morning. But I encourage you so, so far as you're able, so far as you are capable to dig deeply into the scriptures, because that is our sure footing and our solid footing uh, in our faith. We're continuing our series on faith, and and we're going to launch in uh, using a verse from 2 Corinthians, and that verse says, for we live by faith, not by sight. And the word that's used there for live is is the Greek word uh, peripateo, which which actually means to kind of walk around. So it's this idea of the way that you live your life, it's, it's kind of your conduct, Right? It's not that we're, you know, we're breathing through faith, but that we are actually making decisions, we're walking around and making choices based on faith. And then, uh, we, so we live by faith and not by sight. So our chief question this morning that we're looking to address is, what does it mean to live by faith, and what does that have to do with sight, or lack of sight? So our purpose today is, um, well actually at Kenmore Church, we are a church of, of spirit and truth. Right, that's part of our DNA, part of who we aim to be. And those aren't just kind of like modern buzzwords that we sort of came up with. That's actually from Scripture. And it's actually the same passage in John chapter 4 where Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. He says, you know, the day is coming when neither here nor in Jerusalem are you going to worship God. 
But those who worship him will worship in spirit and in truth, for the Lord is seeking such people to worship him. And so we're aiming for uh, implementing a biblical culture here, which keeps a balance between truth and spirit. Because the reality is, it's only the combination and, and the tension of those two that actually brings life to the Christian life. All right? if, you, if you stand too much on, on the side of truth, if, if there's too much emphasis on truth without spirit, then you may as well be, be dead in inactivity. Right? Because uh, you get so consumed with only doing things if you are confident that they are right, that you end up doing nothing. Right? And, and you, you can knock on the window and, and there's no signs of life. Right? It needs the Spirit to bring the truth alive. And on the other side, if you're too focused on the Spirit with no truth, then we end up wandering into error. Then our faith becomes all about experience. It becomes all about you know, seeking things that are going to wow us and blow our socks off. And we end up not being accountable to the Scripture and quite often end up uh, not only in error but in sin. And so to, to live in the Spirit and to walk uh, in faith by the Spirit requires accountability to the Word. And it's the tension of these two things which will actually bring life to us as a church. And so you'll find that we will seek after the Spirit here at Kenmore Church, that we will encourage the use of spiritual gifts, that we will seek for the presence of God to be felt in a tangible way and for His power to move in our lives. But at the same time, nothing we do is not going to be held accountable to the truth of Scripture. Because it's the truth of Scripture that keeps us grounded in what we say, in what we believe, and in what we do. So that's uh, the purpose of today, is that we're going to be digging into the Scriptures, and we're going to be finding what do we actually mean when we say the word faith? What does the Bible teach about faith? And so that will give us an anchor in Scripture for us moving forward in this series. And I'm very excited about what um, Pat's going to be bringing over the next couple of weeks into how this, this faith uh, is used in action. So that's the point of today, is for us to understand this is what the Bible teaches about faith, and then as we move into our teaching series over the next couple of weeks, we've got kind of that sure ground and that sure footing on which to understand and apply that reality. So I hope you're, you're ready to go, uh, and you're ready to, to dive in with me. You know, one of the problems is that when people use particular words, they often mean different things. So when we come to talk about such a deep concept as faith, we need to understand, well, what are we actually talking about? Let me give you an example. If we go to Ephesians 2, verse 8, which says, For by grace, for, uh, by grace you are saved through faith. Right? And we understand that to mean that grace is God's unmerited favor. It's God's attitude towards us which says, I'm not going to treat them according to what they deserve, but according to what they need. And so the verse says that salvation is a gift. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we work for. It's not something that can be earned. It's only given as a free gift from God. And if we receive that salvation by faith, right? It's by our trust in God and his promises that we know, actually, I have received that salvation. I haven't earned it, but praise be to God who has, who has given that to me. But if you were to ask someone who's uh, had a Catholic background, what, are they, what does that verse mean? Well, they understand grace to actually be something that is more kind of a thing of substance, right? A, a thing that is, is tangible and that you actually need to accrue grace. You need to collect grace in order to meet the mark for salvation. And the way that you collect that grace is through participation in the sacraments of the church, right? And so then you have to participate. And so your faith, exercising your faith actually becomes about your participation in church events, rather than about receiving the, the promise of God. 
Okay, and uh, what, where does the faith come in? Well, the faith is like the on and off switch, right? So without the faith, you can participate in the sacraments all you want, and they're not going to work for you. They're not going to give you anything. But your faith is kind of your, your sheer will of, you know, I believe that there is something incredible and mysterious happening, and that's how you receive the grace through the sacraments. I mean, it's like trying to use a sandwich toaster that's not plugged into the wall. You can press that sandwich all you want, but you're just going to end up with cold bread. But once you turn the faith on, right, that's the, the sandwich gets toasted. Right, so that ends up looking like actually quite a works-based uh, uh, understanding of salvation. Right? So it's very important that we know what we mean when we use the word faith. And where's our authority for that? Well, it's in the Bible. And so that's where we're going. So the word used for faith is the Greek word pistis. And you can put that on the next slide. And uh, that's the noun. And it means faith or trust or belief. But related with that noun is actually uh, the verb pistuo, which means to believe or to trust or to put your faith in. So for us to really understand what does the Bible mean when it talks about faith, we need to have a look at how these words are used together in the scriptures. And on the next slide, um, there's some data about that. And look, I do apologize, but I'm both an English teacher and a total Greek nerd. So you're stuck with this. Um, for those of you who appreciate data, uh, you know, this, this is hopefully a bit revealing. So you can see that in the New Testament, there are four sort of emphases, four kind of senses in which the, word, the words for faith are used. And you can see that the occurrences, there are two that are very dominant at the start. You can see the different colours there indicate whether it's the verb being used or the noun being used. Um, but I've, I've categorised these as um, faith that, faith in, faith for, and faith of. Okay, And so those two ones that are really spiking off the charts are kind of our foundational understanding of this is what faith means. You consider them as like an anchor. Okay, These are what anchor us in our understanding. And the other two are... To be honest, probably the ones that get me the, the more excited, even though that they're the ones that have less usage. But they are like the sails, right? Because if you stick riding the anchor, you're not going to go anywhere. And that's not God's uh, idea of faith, right? Faith doesn't keep you still. Faith needs to keep you moving. We need to keep moving forward. And so those other two actually act like the sails. And we need both. And we'll see how those are uh, used in Scripture. Okay. So let's go to our first one, which is faith that. So faith that emphasizes the contents of your belief. What do you actually believe? It's kind of like, you know, the terms and conditions that you sign up for. And I'm pretty sure that that's probably the most universally told lie in our modern world is the lie, yes, I have read and understood the terms and conditions. <laughs> I know, I'm guilty of that one. Um, and I'm not sure if anyone here actually does... Re oh, actually, no, I'm pretty sure that Kat Stonehouse, our resident, one of our resident lawyers, she's definitely going to be reading the terms and conditions. But in a, uh, in a religious sense, the word that we use for this is creed. Okay, so a creed is the list of things uh, that we believe. And so this emphasis of the, uh, of the words for faith is found all throughout the Bible, but it's mostly, oh, it's most important, it's very important in the book of Acts. And I think we've got a couple of um, examples from Acts there. So, but many who heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. That's the, the verbs. 
And then, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith, as in the creed, the contents of what they believe. You see, the church was just being born in the book of Acts, and they, they realized that, you know what, we need to figure out who we are. What is it that makes us us? I mean, we, we, know, we, know, we kind of know that we're not Jewish anymore, so what does that mean? What do we actually believe? And so they had a bunch of meetings, and there's actually a really important council meeting in Acts chapter 15, where they meet in Jerusalem to discuss um, whether they should keep circumcision as a new part of the faith, whether they should make any, anyone, any man who turns to faith in Jesus also be circumcised. And I, I'm, it's probably pretty safe to say that there are about 50% of the people in the room who are incredibly thankful for the decision that was made in Acts chapter 15. Right, next time someone asks you, gentlemen, what's your favorite passage of scripture? You can say, Acts 15. They say, why is that? It's like, because I would prefer to be circumcised in heart than the other one. Sorry, I shouldn't be making circumcision jokes. Uh, I should cut them off. Um, Sorry. (laughs) Naughty. The church had to figure out who it was, and that was are largely about figuring out what they believe. So for the first few centuries, you had all of these church council meetings that were trying to decide about important issues of creed. Interestingly, all of these church council meetings were trying to figure out issues about who Jesus was and what the significance of that is for how God has revealed himself through Scripture. Right. So was Jesus really divine? Okay. If he was divine, was he really human? If he was both, what does it mean for him to have died? What is accomplished by that? And so this is the the nature of the stuff that they were kind of wrestling with um, for those first few centuries. Now I want to look at a passage just quickly in in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this passage shows us really how important this idea of creed, this idea of faith that, is in our understanding. It says, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. And so the Bible is saying that it's, it's your, if your belief is not in the truth, then the result is condemnation. Okay, what we believe is incredibly important, if not all important. Okay, what we believe was important in the first century and it is still important now. Okay, because the, the postmodern mindset and, and psychology will tell you that, you know what, all that matters is that you have a faith, that you've got some kind of belief because, you know what, that's going to give you emotional support in diff- times of difficulty or it's going to give you a, a connection with a, a group of uh, like-minded people and a sense of community or it's going to give you, you know, some connection to your inner spirituality Let me tell you that that's rubbish. Okay, because you cannot compare the indwelling of your creator God with something that you can get at yoga at your local YMCA. All right, the experience of faith of God indwelling is different to some kind of you have a faith and that makes your life awesome. And the world will not tell you that, but it's clearly what the Bible is teaching, that what you believe is critically important. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to have all of your theology lined up in order to make the grade. Far from it. I'm looking forward to the day when I go to be with Jesus and actually all my theology gets corrected. 
But it's much like the issues that the early church were wrestling with. It's all about Jesus. Did you know that the most important question you will ever answer in your life is who do you say that Jesus is? And in fact, that's the most important question that you're going to answer in the next life as well. All right, because it's about who Jesus is, which is going to affect our eternal destiny. And until we agree with what Jesus has said about himself and what God has testified through the witness of history and through the witness of scripture about Jesus, it's through agreeing with that that we actually come into faith with God and in God. And let me give you an illustration, uh, an, an example, sorry. Just recently, my father-in-law became a Christian after 30 years, right? Yes, that's, that's something worth getting excited about. 30 years, people praying for him, 30 years attending church, 30 years he had a faith, right? But he couldn't put his faith in God because he didn't, his beliefs about Jesus didn't line up. Right now, he attended church every week for that time, probably more so than a lot of Christians. He knew a lot more about the Bible than probably a lot of Christians do. He believed in God, right? He believed that God existed. He actually had God communicating to him through dreams, right? But across that time, just something didn't click. Okay, he he couldn't believe that Jesus needed to die on a cross, that God needed to satisfy wrath and punishment on our behalf for our sin. Right? He believed that that was just unnecessary, that you could get to God some other way. He didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead because, hey, that's physically impossible. Little by little, over that 30-year period, through conversations, through prayer, through God actually stepping in, chip by chip, that fell away and his beliefs slowly started to align. But it wasn't until he actually made the decision to trust what they say about Jesus that things actually worked for him. And Some of you have heard this story, but I don't think I'm ever going to get tired of telling it because last year, um, some of you may know, my wife went through a period of being hospitalized and one of those nights, she's sitting in an MRI machine and she gets prompted by the Holy Spirit, you need to pray for your dad. You need to pray for his salvation. (laughs) The same prayer that she's prayed most days of her life, you know, some sleepless nights as a kid, praying for the salvation of her father. But she feels prompted in that darkness, in the darkness of that situation to pray for him. And the words that are coming to her from the Holy Spirit are, you need to come home, just bring him home, just bring him home. That night, he has a dream from God that finishes with the words, it's time to come home. He wakes up the next morning and, he, and you know, you know what, I'm a Christian. And he realized that. And it wasn't until his belief that aligned with what Jesus said about himself, all right? We need to trust what Jesus says about himself. And you know what? If you haven't heard that message, if you don't know what the belief that looks like, it looks like this. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. You see, the truth is that God sent his eternal son to become a man, born through the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect, sinless life, was crucified, And in his death, because of his eternal nature and his perfect offering to God, he paid the price for you and me so that we were not condemned. There's no warrant out for our arrest anymore, right? And so that all who put their faith and trust in him can actually be with God. And then it says three days later that he uh, he rose from the dead, proving that he could conquer death. The death no longer had any power over him or the people who are in Christ. 
And then he ascended to heaven where he sends the Holy Spirit to be his representative on earth, to live inside us, to be the seal of God's salvation in our life. If your belief that does not line up with those things, then I'm sorry, but you're not yet a Christian. Maybe today is your date. So that's the faith that, okay? The next one is faith in. Now, faith in is the emphasis that actually our faith doesn't get pushed out into space and just kind of float around in no gravity without any anchoring or security in something. The way that the Bible uses the language of faith is that your faith is placed in something. It has an object, all right? If there are any Greek nerds, the faith that is, you know, takes the accusative and the faith in takes the dative, right? Your faith is resting in something. So your faith is actually much more like an arrow released from a bow that lands itself firmly in a target, okay? That's much more like the language of faith. And we'll have an example from John's gospel up there. Jesus is praying, my prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Okay, so lots of occurrences uh, in the New Testament emphasize that faith is something that is placed in something or in someone. But you know, these two aspects, faith that and faith in, are actually impossible to separate. They are impossible to take away from one another. And we're going to have a, a look at an example from Luke's gospel. So John, that's John the Baptist. John's disciples told him about these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news, that is the gospel, is proclaimed to the poor. And so while we don't see the actual word used for faith in that passage, the question of faith is what is being asked. The disciples have been told to ask, are we to trust you? Are we to trust in you? Or are we to wait for somebody else who is you know, more important, more powerful, more significant to come later? And what's Jesus' response? Well, I can tell you what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you'll just have to find out. You'll just have to trust me and then we'll see what happens. No, he says, look at the evidence. Look at what's there. Okay, so our faith in can actually be based on faith that. All right, there is credibility to a choice to believe in Jesus, because you're believing his track record as it is revealed through history and through scripture. So these two ideas are impossible to separate uh, from one another. You know, our faith is based on the logical decision which takes the evidence into account, and as a result, our faith is placed in the person of Jesus. So the faith that can inform the faith in, but it can also go the other way, right? Our faith in can inform the faith that. And there's no greater example of this than uh, Abraham. Okay, so Abraham, in the Old Testament, uh, he was living in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, which we know is roughly where ancient Babylon was. And we know that at that time, people who lived there were moon worshippers. That was their, their belief, their faith. So Abraham knew nothing about God. He didn't know who Yahweh was. 
didn't know. He, he was worshipping the moon. And then suddenly one day, God, the God of the universe, appears to him and says, pack up your family, go to where I'm sending you, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And Abraham, I mean, that's a pretty great promise to, you know, even if you're just rolling the dice, that's a pretty great promise to, to you know, bank, bank on. But in the absence of any other proof that that was going to happen, Abraham had to place his faith in the person who just spoke to him. He had to trust in the credibility of the voice that just gave him the promise. Okay, And that was the first time that anyone had to exercise faith like that. All right? And that is why Abraham is called the father of faith. Okay, And then the rest of his life is God proving over time and time again that he is faithful. He is reiterating the promise. He says, Abraham, I'm still faithful. It's just not going to happen yet. And so Abraham goes through this journey of faith. And you know what? For Abraham, all of that revelation of God's character was breaking ground. But for us, it's water under the bridge because we can look through the Bible and see God's credibility written on the pages of history. So we don't even have to exercise that kind of faith. And then the Bible tells us in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, these two inform each other. The faith that can lead you to the faith in. The faith in strengthens the credibility of the faith that. And it's in fact the credibility of the person who said it that is really the substance of the credibility of what you believe. These two... The faith in and the faith that form the anchor of our understanding in the New Testament. And that uh, the graph that I showed you before, um, the words occur about 480 times in the New Testament. And about 200 of those each are in those two categories, faith in and faith that. Okay, so these are the anchors of our understanding of what the word faith means in the New Testament. However, if we were to only ride those anchors... We wouldn't go anywhere. And that's not God's picture of faith. Faith is something that should be dynamic, that should be moving. And this is where the charismatic people start to get excited. Because the next one, the next one is faith for. Okay? Now, faith for is the emphasis that when you have faith, that faith is always in connection to miracles. Right? Let me say that again. When you have faith, that faith is always in connection to miracles. And you might say, hang on, Sandy, didn't you go to a Baptist theological college? Well, yes, but fortunately, I also read the Bible, okay? Let's have... (laughs) Sorry, that didn't didn't mean to come across the way that it did. (laughs) Woof, okay, dig dig up, Sandy. Um, There is a goal to faith, Okay, there is a goal and the confidence in and the confidence that is meant to inform our confidence for so that we can walk in faith and have faith for miracles. And I want you to put up the, the data again there. Okay, so you can see the usage there and that four category is the third one along. Now, you know why I know this is important? Despite the fact it occurs 31 times compared to 400 for the other one. You know why I know that's important? Because of who says it. Right, and go to the next slide. That is the number of times that Jesus says it. He basically only speaks of faith 
in connection to miracles, right? And if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. But uh, on the next slide, you can see some examples of the kind of um, passages that we find this. So Jesus is saying that, you know, daughter, your faith has made you well. Or he's saying he saw the faith of the friends of the paralytic and, and based on that, he healed the paralytic. Or he finds this centurion, he says, never even in all of Israel have I seen such faith. And then his servant is healed that moment when he goes home. You see, Jesus says that faith in and faith for is a starting point. That is our solid ground and our solid footing. But we're meant to go somewhere. That's meant to translate into faith for miracles. Faith doesn't just inform our morals. It doesn't just influence our worldview. It doesn't just guide our decisions. It doesn't just give us emotional support in difficult times. Faith is meant to move us to act and expect in ways that see God's miraculous power become evident in our life. The assurance in and the assurance that brings the assurance for. And Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of what is hoped for and the certainty of what we do not see. And if we go back to our verse 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith and not by sight. And some people will say that faith is blind, and I hate that expression, if I'm honest with you, because it makes me feel like in order to have faith, you have to close your eyes and walk about potentially stumbling in, or I'm glad the baptismal is not open today, Potentially just bumping into anything. And that's what the world will tell you your faith is. They will say, I don't know how you can have faith. Why don't you believe science? Why don't you believe the evidence? All right, is faith really blind? No. The moments you need faith are the moments where you can't see. It's not about closing your eyes and hoping for the best. It's about going to places where the only way that you can see is through God's sight. The purpose of faith is to take you where you cannot see. What does this look like in your life, right? How do we apply this sail? How do we put this sail up so that we can begin moving forward in faith? Well, the first thing to say is that it's not something that's static. If your faith is at the same place as it was five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago, something's gone a bit wrong in your Christianity, Okay, we need to be growing in our faith continually. So I'm just going to give you three, uh, I guess, types of prayer that you might ask in faith. If you found that your faith hasn't been growing, here are three ways that you can pray in order to put up that sail and ask God and to trust based on the faith that and the faith in that he is going to carry you through the faith for. Okay, and the first level is a help me prayer. Okay, and at the first level, sometimes our life is just so overwhelmed by the situations in front of us that we can't even think of, you know, we're struggling to get out of bed, we're struggling to face the things that are coming against us. There's, there's no hope of wanting to change the world or wanting to influence people. We just have to survive. And you know what? That's okay because that's part of life. And God wants to come into that space. This is when our most pressing needs have to be given to God, whether that's unmet physical or emotional needs, struggles, struggles in relationships, finances, provision, direction, opposition. Sometimes we just need to say, God, help me. 
but we need to put up that sail of faith that says, God, help me. And we need to find the spots in Scripture where Jesus has said, I will help you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. For this reason, we can say confidently, God is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The second level is a change me prayer. And that's about personal transformation. Okay, it's the faith that God can change us. That we can pursue in faith the transformation of character which God asks of us. He doesn't want us to stay the same. All right? The point of becoming a Christian is not to just stick that ticket to heaven in your back pocket, but for you to be growing in your likeness of Christ. And so these are prayers like being freed from temptation, being cleansed from sin's presence and sin's effects, being transformed by the Holy Spirit, learning to yield the fruits of the Spirit in your life. And let me tell you, there is a catalogue of scriptures that you can go to every time you pray one of those prayers. For no temptation has overtaken you, which is not common to man. But God is faithful and will never let you be tempted beyond your ability. And with the temptation, he will always provide the way of escape that you may be able to stand up under it. There you go. Take that to the bank when you come, on, when you come to temptation. What about cleansing of sin? Well, God is faithful, right? And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice how that is based on his faithfulness. Right, Our faith in him, he is trustworthy. There you go, that's your verse for cleansing sin. What about being transformed by the Holy Spirit? Or yielding the fruits of the Spirit? Well, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with brotherly love and brotherly love with godliness. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, these scriptures are our faith that we believe them because of our faith in the credible person who said it and we need to apply them for the faith for so that we actually start moving in our walk, so that we actually start moving forward with Jesus. And that third level is a use me prayer. At the third level, we begin to act in faith and obedience for ways that we can see God change the world around us. This is when we pray in faith for the salvation of others when we act in faith to meet others' needs and to love them well, when we desire in faith for miracles to impact our word, world, when we consider in faith what reimagining church looks like in order to meet the needs of the modern world, these are use me kind of prayers. And you know, you can be in any one of those at any time, sometimes all three of them all at once. Sometimes we're stuck in that first one just because of the, the strength and the, uh, the severity of the things that are coming against us. But I just need to say, and I need to say this carefully, that you shouldn't stay at that first level. Right? And this doesn't apply to everyone, but some people are stuck in the help me stage. All of your prayers of faith are simply about help. Some, some people are stuck there because they don't want to pray a change me prayer. Or they don't want to pray a use me prayer. All right? And without trying to get to these these other parts of you know, what it means to be a Christian and to follow Christ, you're going to be stuck. So absolutely, pray the help me prayer when you need. But we want to get to the change me and we want to get to the use me as well. The other thing that is critically important, no matter what we're praying, no matter which level it's fitting into, that all of these prayers are based on Jesus. 
We will never get to the point where we get past who Jesus is and what he's done and the fact that he is our connection to God, that we are co-heirs with Christ, that we are found in Christ. So it doesn't matter whether we're praying for somebody else's salvation or whether we're praying for a miracle. We're not praying for the sake of, of a miracle just so we can go, look at this party trick. No, we're praying because we want the manifest glory of Jesus to appear as a testimony to his goodness. When we're reimagining how can we do church to to better reach people and to better impact our world, we're doing that based on the faith that church is still about Jesus. It's not about the cleverness of of our ideas or, or the strategy moving forward. It's all about Jesus impacting our world. And if that's going to work, it's because Jesus is in it. We will never get past that, no matter what we are praying for in faith. The point of your faith is to carry you through when you cannot see. The space where the promise is unfulfilled is actually the space where your faith matters most, right? Because the moment the results come, your faith is no longer required. Your faith is strengthened. And that strengthening is to prepare you for the next step. That's how you grow in faith and become a person of faith. And so this last category, faith of this is the emphasis in which faith is used as an attribute or a characteristic, right? So Stephen is described as a man full of faith. Or if we, The next verse from the book of Acts says that Barnabas was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So how do we get to the point where we are described as people of faith? Let me tell you that if you only stick to those two anchors and you don't have the sails, you can be described as a faithful person, but you will not be described as a faith-filled person. Okay, if you don't put up that sail and allow God to take you into the spaces where you cannot see, where you can only act in trust of him, then you will not be called a faith-filled person. And if you were to ask someone whom you know and respect as, wow, that person is full of faith, I want to be like them, you ask them, how did you get that faith? Where did it come from? They'll say, little by little, one step at a time. I didn't wake up one morning and decide that I had enough faith for you know, the world to be transformed. But you know, one day I had this prayer and God answered it and I was like, wow. The next day I had, I had a prayer for something that was you know, a, a, little, a little bit further in, into trusting with God and, and God did it and I was like, wow. Sometimes, in fact often, that process takes years of committing things to God before your faith is strengthened enough that you go, you know what? I don't want to be where I can see anymore. I only want to be in places where I can't see and where God is going to come in faith and answer that prayer. So that's my encouragement to you Christians this morning, that we need to be people full of faith. And then in order to do that, we need to exercise moving into the spaces where God can only move by faith. Because when Jesus says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea and it will be done. The reason he chose the smallest seed that they had back then, was to emphasize how irrelevant the size of your faith is, but the importance of where your faith is, the fact that it's in Jesus. And little by little, step by step, faith by faith, you'll get to the point where we are a faith-filled people who love God and know we are in Jesus, we believe what he says, and that gives us the confidence to act in faith for. I'd just like to invite Amy up to... um, to stand on the keys, uh, to, to play for us. Um, now, if you're here this morning and, and you're like, you know, so, something needs to change, 
right, something in me needs to, needs to shift, then we've got an opportunity for, for prayer off to the side here. So I would encourage you to respond. And, and perhaps if you've realized that um, faith, your faith that doesn't align with what the Bible teaches about it, then maybe today for you that step is actually becoming a Christian today. Deciding, you know what, Jesus is the most trustworthy person that I could put my faith into and I'm going to make that step. Perhaps that's you today. And if that's the case, then in a moment, I'm just going to give us an opportunity to respond. But maybe uh, you need help from God. Maybe you need some encouragement from people around you, right? This is why we exist in community. To actually start believing for. And if that's you, then why don't you respond as well? Have the opportunity to be prayed for. Put up that sail so that we can all be moving forward in faith. And I'll just ask every eye to be closed now and, and every head to be bowed as we come to the end of the, of the message today. But if you're one of those people who's realized that, you know what, my faith is not yet in Jesus or I don't believe or haven't believed what Jesus says about himself, maybe God is prompting you that you need to make that decision today, that you need to put your faith in Jesus and that that means giving away all of your preconceived ideas about who Jesus was and who Jesus wasn't and accepting him on his word, that he is a credible person and that he is in fact the only name given under heaven by which men can be saved. And if that's you, I'll just encourage you to to just raise your hand while every eyes closed and every head is bowed. If you need to make that decision today, then would you just raise your hand? There's no pressure on anyone here. And if no one responds, we're not worried or or we're not ashamed of that, but we're not going to let any opportunity pass where somebody has the chance to come to know Jesus. So if that's you, then just stick your hand in the air. We're going to keep going and, and I would encourage you to use this time as, as an opportunity to respond to God. Lord Jesus, we are just so thankful for the, the foundation that we can have in your word, that you have chosen to reveal yourself so clearly and so fully um, through scripture and that you also choose to reveal yourself personally to us as we live our lives as Christians. And I just pray that you would help us to be anchored in the faith that and the faith in that we know whom we have believed and we are confident that you are able to keep us according to your promise. We just declare our faith. We declare that it's in you and that there is no better place for that faith to be put. But Lord, would you also help us to put up that sail? The anchors help us not to be tossed around by the waves and by the wind, but the sail helps us to ride and move where the Holy Spirit is taking As individuals, we ask for that sail to come up in our lives that we might be able to move with you and for you and to do things for you. And we ask also as a church, as a a group of believers here who are called to a particular purpose, that as a church, we might put up that sail, that we might be led wherever your wind is blowing for this ship to go and that we would go there in faith and in obedience. And Lord, we ask that little by little, you would help us to become people of faith. Thank you.